Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to the afternoon edition of The Chaser Report for Thursday the 17th of February. Uh, With me are Gabby and Alexa and our very special guest, David Shoebridge. Hi. Hey everybody, I'm glad we've cleared up the date. That's got us off to a strong start. (laughs) (laughs) Now, so so David is a Greens MP and has been in in the upper house for for many years now, but he is now running uh, for the federal Senate on the Senate's ticket for the Greens in the upcoming election. David, why the hell would you want to go into federal parliament? (laughs) Well, it is a good question and, you know, at different times I wake up in night sweats and think about it. But look, um, 11 years in the New South Wales Upper House, mm, that's a that's its horrible. own cruelty, you know. Yes. With, uh, and you've got Fred, to work with Mark Latham. Mark Latham, <laughs> yeah. Fred Nile, you oh. know. So, um, uh, fun and some, you know, some amazingly wonderful colleagues, of course. Yes. But the, um, who? You know, the who? Name them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll start with Abigail and Kate, my two Greens. But yeah. the... Um, No, look, I I actually think this is an extraordinary opportunity for the Greens, federally. Mm. Um, What, to have you there? (laughs) (laughs) What an opportunity. No, no, but um, there's a chance here to get like 12 senators Mm. in the federal Senate, like the biggest voting bloc ever for a a party that's not the Liberals or um, or Labor. Mm. And with that, have a real say on the direction of the country. I mean, I've... The reason I got into state politics was I was watching it from outside and thinking, bloody hell, mm. you know, and I literally had some colleagues say, well, stop complaining, get in and try and fix it. And I suppose it's the same kind of passion that's driving me federally here. I look at it and like I think most people I talk to, a genuine level of sort of disengagement, disgust, sort of, you know, low level horror at what's happening federally. And you can either, you know, walk away from it or, or walk up to it. And, and I, that's what we're doing. And is it also because... The desks are really attractive up there. Oh. <laughs> Charles, when will uh, we know, let this the, bit uh, die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the you furnishings know, isn't what's driving yeah. me. <laughs> um, the, I tell you what does worry me though. Like mm. the New South Wales Parliament, you're in it. Whenever you're in Parliament, you're in a kind of bubble. Um, but the New South Wales Parliament, you know, is in, in the middle of Sydney. You're like five metres away from the rest of the world. Mm. And you do. You get lots of people mm. coming and, you know, um, a real interchange. What does worry me about is being sucked into that thing yes. in Canberra. And I'm genuinely, uh, you know, I, I genuinely worried about that and yeah. not quite sure how you prepare yourself for it. Well, my, my sister used to be a staffer down in Canberra in the sort of 1990s and just said it was the most awful place in the world. Like it was just, it was just horrible in every way, uh, we we can stop this now. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Look. But are you are you top of the ticket or are you second on the green? Yeah, ticket? top of the ticket. Yeah, yeah right. we have a half. So you're you're election. heading there. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> well, you'll you get, know, you'll you, get a quota. You, you don't you don't um, you don't ever take any election for granted. And um, we now have a much more democratic way we elect senators than we used to. We used to have those terrible cooked tickets where you know someone could get, become a senator with 54 primary votes. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's now re- genuinely reflects the level of support you have in yes. the community. Oh, so yes. you're so <laughs> effective. Of uh, no, no, no. So, but, so but that method just so meant that David Shubri came. <laughs> <laughs> that method actually meant <laughs> that instead of a kind of backroom deal, um, mm. which often you saw, you know, outright preference farming, mm. it now actually is much more democratic. That's that's much better for us in terms of the Senate ticket. But look, I'm not taking this for granted. Mm. We we um, there's a lot of campaigning to be to be done. It's really hard to keep the Greens' voice heard visible, um, if a voice can be visible, mm. um, in the lead up to a federal election, you tend to get squashed out. So we need to be, you know, doing yeah. what we do best, grassroots campaigning, 
connecting with people, you know, saying the things that neither the other parties will say. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Chaser Report. News you know you can't trust. Well, let's get to some of the issues uh, because there are some big issues and I know one that we've been running on hard in, in our podcast, is koalas. Are you for or against koalas? Yeah, I'd give koalas a vote if I could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so you, yeah. you think that they should be able to survive? I, I'm kind of keen for not just koalas to survive. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of keen on, like, you know, organised society surviving, mm. most of our ecosystems surviving. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I think yeah. you've lost most of our audience um, <laughs> just with that <laughs> policy statement because we are very vehemently anti-koala on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, speak and, for yourself. And and we we see it as a good development that uh, mm. you know they they're now about to be extinct in New South Wales. Queensland is also following suit. They've been put on the extinction list there, and it's actually Victoria who's the laggard, and they're not going extinct at all there. So. Yeah, well, they've got um, thankfully finally transitioning out of logging. Can I tell you, I was down in down in Bega, mm. um, as I think pretty much mm. every state MP was in the last. Um, Two months, but one of the things that really struck me, we're down there with obviously lots of forestry camp forest campaigners, desperately keen to end logging. Eighty percent of the forest around there smashed by fires. Yeah, um, they're still smashing the forest though with logging. And mm. if one 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 image that really stuck with me and made me think, you know, can we turn this around in time? You know, does anybody really get it? Was there was there was birthed at the chip mill down mm. in um, in Eden, birthed at the chip mill was a fifty five thousand ton. Um, uh, uh, a carrier to take 55,000 tonnes of native forest wood chip off overseas to be used primarily for cardboard and paper out of the forest that had already been so savaged. And we know that there are endangered koala colonies down on the south coast. Mm. And for me, it was just this, it was kind of really visceral feeling because mm. I don't know if you've seen a 55,000 tonne bulk carrier. No. It's a bloody big thing. It was just being loaded up with shredded forest, forest that had already been 80% whacked from the fires. And I... Mm. But it, don't you think that it's the koala's responsibility <laughs> to therefore find somewhere else to live? Like if they're going to live in sort of, you know, places which have really useful stuff to sell, then they should find somewhere else. Well, I've always said, you know, if you want to change something, grassroots campaigning is a pretty good way of doing it. Mm. Um, I think koalas have got something going for them. They've got that attractive megafauna look. Mm. Um <laughs> And um, and they ruthlessly exploit that, and so they bloody should, um, because no, unfortunately they, they don't have the vote. But the problem with yeah. koalas, just to get serious, just to get real for a second. They live the, where we want to live. The problem with koalas, no, is that they only eat eucalyptus leaves, which ha lack any nutrition or value. Like, eucalyptus oil is basically, has no nutritional value. Their brains have become incredibly small because... They don't get any nutrition. Like, their brains actually rattle around in their heads because it lacks sort of thing. Are you they're, fine they're, I think for we've a just job at a Australia Zoo? We've got to call yeah. it on koalas. Like, they're not a, an animal that 
that deserves survival. You are like they, the um, anti-Steve Irwin. They, uh, <laughs> I reckon what they are, they, they're this example of this extraordinary um, adaptation of mm. our native animals. I mean, they just they have adapted this extraordinary way of surviving in a really hot, hard, mm. desperate place. They eat something no one else will eat in large part, mm. um, which is a pretty good survival strategy until we decided to turn up and said, everywhere koalas live, we, we want to live. Mm. We want to take your habitat. We want to chop down your forest. And the bits that you finally, that you, you found yourself surviving in, we want them too. Mm. Um, but no, they, uh, it's a good survival strategy mm. to eat shit that no one else will eat until we turn up and decide to turn it into wood chips. We well, said that about Charles actually in the office because he eats everything we don't <laughs> eat in the fucking barbecue. He's, 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 the, he the, he's the, koala the koala in the office. In the he also has chlamydia, but I don't want to talk about that <laughs> on the air. Yeah. That's my fault. Uh, now, another issue, talking of eating shit, is, is gig workers. So you, you're running a campaign at the moment to sort of make, you know, Uber Eats drivers, those sorts of gig economy workers, have the same employment conditions as, you know... Well, not us, because we're... We're well, not obviously employed. We're yeah. We are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, 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 like, you're, you're, you're all <laughs> sham contractors. Yeah. So that's, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. like used car salesmen yeah. okay, of the comedy cool. industry, but, yes. But what's the argument there? Because sh- surely that'll just make prices rise and we'll all have to pay extra for our Uber Eats. Isn't that a disaster? <laughs> How oh. is that popular? <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, what, one of the things we're looking at, I mean, the Uber, Uber drivers, delivery drivers, um, mm. some of the most exploited workers in that mm. we have, they come, they, they, they tend to be already vulnerable from vulnerable parts of the community. Um, some of them don't have, you know, um, full immigration rights. Some of their employers know that they've got issues with in terms of working rights, ruthlessly exploited. So what we're trying to do is just do some basics, like ensure that they have the right to some annual leave ensure that they have some right to some secure employment and some minimum rates mm-hmm. and ensure that if they get injured at work, they have the same rights to workers' compensation as any other worker. I mean, one of the things that really struck me, we had an, an inquiry into it and we've had a bunch of gig workers come, some family members come, in fact, flew from overseas to tell us about their their um, their, their husband having mm-hmm. been killed as a gig worker and the family yeah. thrown into poverty. Um, they just don't have access to workers' comp rights. Mm. Uh, and and every, every, single, every single entitlement is contested. We could fix that. We could fix that in an afternoon. Mm. We could just extend workers' comp rights to them in New South Wales. And we could use some, even some state-based laws, even if the federal government won't act, we could use state-based laws in, in New South Wales to protect their employment rights. But it's just this refusal to act. It's, it's, not, it's not inevitable that gig workers get exploited. It's because politicians won't act. So what, wait a minute. What's, what is the argument from the employer's perspective that they shouldn't <laughs> have workers' comp? They're like entrepreneurs. Well, they literally say, oh, it'll make New South Wales anti-competitive. Uh, it'll affect the but business economy Anti-competitive for what? Wales. We're going to start ordering from Victoria. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you, it's almost as though you're in that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> is that honestly? Yes. Is that, that is the honestly the argument. It'll make New South Wales anti-competitive. Uh, also, the, it, the gig economy, by being so flexible, is super creative. You know, creative ways to exploit people, and that ability to exploit people won't be as you know free ranging. So, so, so there was a federal court case about this very issue last week. What happened there? Because it sort of sounded like it was a very complicated result. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's been a series of federal court cases mm. trying to argue that gig workers are employ- employees mm. and have all the in- – uh, we could, we could have spend talk about time talking about the indicia of employment, but there's a whole lot of factors you look at about whether someone is actually an independent contractor mm. or whether they're actually an employee. 
And you look at all these indicia about control. Do you only work for one person? Can you set your own rates? Can you set your own contract? You look at all those indi- – and the, the problem with that test is one court will say yes and one court will say no. Mm. And in the meantime, everybody's caught in a muddle, which is why you would think it's the job of parliaments mm. to actually just say, actually, we're going to expressly say this. We're going to protect gig workers. We're going to mm. give them basically the same right as employees. And it's not just for gig workers either. And I think this is one of the core reasons why – I'm focused on this, is that as that part of the economy expands, it erodes the rights yes. of every other yeah. working person in the country. Yeah. Like it just expands. It's like a sort of – it just eats the underpinning of all the other protections we have. Because I'm thinking of putting Alexa and Gabby on a, you know, per joke sort of oh. app thing. Yeah. Oh, what did the salesman say to yeah. the – yeah. Yeah. I'm really broke. Well, the, the, the good news is there's a, there's a whole bunch of consultants who'll help you do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, like the Greens are obviously, you know, onto this issue. Where's the Labor Party on this? You'd think that that would be a core issue for them. Why haven't we heard yeah, much from that? Well, well, almost nothing federally. Like it's just not on their radar federally. I will say at a state level, there are some state Labor MPs who I work with productively in this space, and I do. And I'll, I'll give a shout out to a bloke called Daniel Mookie. He's been doing some oh, hard work great. in this. Yeah, and yeah. I really, you know, there's a bunch of stuff. I've worked collaboratively with those people in Labor mm. to try and do this kind of work. But as an institution, they just don't prioritise it. And mm. largely because they see gig workers as really, they're not the swing voters. They're not that, you know, self-employed um, tradesperson in whatever marginal seat they're aiming for that they think is going to swing um, their, their federal election. They're so, so focused on that kind of mm, narrow mm. casting as against the coalition. But but I will say but there are, there are people. there's a ton of gig workers. Like you'd, you'd think there'd be some votes in it, wouldn't there? Well, you'd think so. Even if it was purely mercenary, you do it. Because a lot of them don't have citizenship. Mm. Um, that's yeah. another reason why, you know, they don't just fly under the radar yes. for, for major parties. But I think the idea that it impacts everybody else. I mean, surely mm. you should make that clear. I it think I have everybody. a solution actually for this to make the federal government care about this issue is we just do what, um, I don't know if you're aware, there's a really um, amazing expose series called Undercover Boss. And um, we should just swap it over so like everyone in federal parliament doesn't mm. have annual leave, yes. doesn't have health insurance, yes. doesn't yeah. have workers', workers rights, plan. just for like a couple weeks and just mm. until yeah. it, it lasts long enough that they're like, we have to change this, and yes. then they change it for everyone. And they should be paid per piece of legislation passed. There are dangers in that. And I do think that's part of why the bubble, I mean, we spoke about the bubble at the beginning, mm. If, if and people are critical of, you know, MPs entitlements and MPs this, um, and I think that's fair enough. But one of the problems with it is, particularly if you're wrapped up in a bubble and you don't see anything else, is do you really understand what it's like to live on $12 a job? Yeah. And you're trying to do three or four jobs every hour just to basically get enough to pay your rent in your share house. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to understand that if you're in this kind of, you know, well-paid, protected bubble. And so I, will I, you vow to <laughs> slash... Politicians' wages. If you get in, oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but oh, I will say this. So I will say this. I will say this. Yeah, no, I will say this. My, um, I often joke with um, uh, a former Greens MP, Larry Annan, who, at a state and a federal level, mm. went through and smashed every single uh, poli- poli- politician's pension that she could f- lay her hands on, and she single-handedly destroyed all pensions for, <laughs> for New South Wales MPs going forward, and single-handedly destroyed all pensions for uh, federal MPs going forward. 
and I often look at her and say, thanks, Lee. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> no, but I think that's been, I think that has really been important um, as part of that campaigning against entitlements. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the idea that once you got elected to parliament, you'd be protected forever. Yeah. Mm. We've got rid of that. Mm. But, but isn't the problem with that, though, yeah. just to play devil's advocate, of that, course. that then, you know, Gladys runs off and gets a job at Optus five seconds after she leaves. I mean, and, I and, and or Macquarie Bank has a sort of open oh. offer knowing that all these politicians are coming off and they're going to be on skid row. Well, working, <laughs> working, working for Optus for Gladys is kind of like me going to Macca's after this job. Like, that's her Macca's. Oh, she just had enough. a state government level job and now yeah. she's working for Optus. You know, it's yeah. not as cushy as I think you're but laying it out Well, but, but no, but I, I mean... One of the issues that's constantly on my mind is the nature of corruption in politics. And, uh, you know, some people think that the, the corruption in politics is a brown paper bag of money. Mm. And, and, you know, it does happen. Like in, in New <laughs> South Wales, I mean, in New South Wales, well, of course it happens. I remember Bede, yeah. McDonald, they're all in jail. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a decade ago, there was a Liberal candidate up in, um, uh, around Newcastle Way. Mm. And uh, he, uh, he was a vet and he actually left the, a dog. He was in the middle of operating in a dog and anaesthetised. And he left the dog on the operating table in the middle, ducked outside and took $10,000 from a property <laughs> developer in a Bentley and then went back into the dog. And I thought that was a real statement about mm. politics. Um, ICAC didn't like that very much when they found out about it. But that, there's that. But that's not the major corruption. The major corruption is, is, I think, two other things. One is corporate donations that, mm. you know, corporations don't give money to politicians because they love democracy. Mm. <laughs> they do it purely to drive their profits, and <laughs> that's pretty obvious. But the other one is the revolving door. Mm. If you're a senior minister, you've got portfolio responsibilities, you've got a leadership position, and you know that when you step out of politics, you're going to walk straight into a, you know, a job with Macquarie Bank, as mm. the former Premier Mike Baird did, yep. job with Optus, as Gladys Berejiklian did, you know, a job with a big defence contractor, which former federal defence ministers have done. I mean, you could just keep the list going. That is really corrupting. But that was happening before pensions were removed. It'll happen after pensions mm. are removed. We just need a clear legislative prohibition, like yeah. two or three years where you can't do that. And maybe, you know, you give a base salary for two or three years to, to cover that. I'd, I'd be willing to pay that to stop mm. that level of corruption for mm. senior ministers and people literally walking out of regulating an industry yeah. straight into earning from it. Mm. Yeah. bit cooked. <laughs> a fair bit cooked. Mm. Yeah, um, but, but it's, it's, you can fix it. Like yeah. we 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 have you know we all just sort of went inside and slack slack shouldered mm. there at that moment about it. It's fixable. Well, it just feels it's like fixable. it's not fixable though, because <coughs> what that actually feels like is oh, you have two or three years where they go and wine and dine the top end of town. Like I don't know. For me, for me, I reckon what I've observed of you know when roads get built and stuff like that. The people who I've talked to where you go, how was that decision made? How did that terrible road that's got harbour views, <laughs> yeah. you know, get constructed? And the answer is, well, the top end of, like, those big businesses are just better at the lunches. Like, mm. yeah, there's yeah. the $20,000 donation, but actually 
you know, and that gets you a bit of access. But it's actually that they all lunch together, and the and the big business sort of puts on great lunches. Are you He's in? figured it out. It's brunching. That's the it's problem. brunching. <laughs> and I think I actually think part of the it, it's it's constantly being in people's face is actually what it is. Mm. And pain to have your team, your consultants, your position constantly in the face of politicians. Mm. That is actually part of the problem. At, 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 and, at and a, a sort of really almost is. friendship level, though, it's yeah. like it's not <laughs> like oh here let's talk about this road. It's like you know. Do you get your steak rare or medium rare? Yeah. Oh, by the way, shouldn't we do a road? Yeah, sure. So was one of your policy platforms going to be to ban brunch when you get to federal? <laughs> the, uh, <coughs> I think one of our policy positions will be complete transparency on what those meetings are. Mm. Um, but also these kind of insidious corrupting um, strategies, you actually need – that's why you need a permanent – fully powered anti-corruption watchdog to be yes. constantly on the beat mm. and looking at the way money always tr- money will always find a way. We could come up with something tomorrow which would mm. be bloody good and deal with all the corruption risks we have now. But the only way we're going to defend that is if you have something like the New South Wales ICAC sitting there mm. with all those powers looking at what the next corruption w- risk is, looking at the next way in which money is mm. trying to find its way. And, it. You know, this is a, a struggle between kind of decency and politics and corporate money and power and influence. That's never going to go away. We need a kind of permanent institution fully empowered to fight it. Well, this has come up uh, in the podcast in the last few weeks, which is, okay, so say the Libs get voted out at a federal level. You know, Labor will bring in some sort of legislation around a federal ICAC, like that's part of their policy platform. But how, like, isn't it also not in Labor's interests to... um, to scratch too deeply because, you know, like we know from a state level, like they've got they've got skeletons in their closet. You know, like things like oh, how retrospective it should be. I'm not sure that Labor's going to go. Oh yeah, let's just clean it all. Which out. is, I mean, how did we get the ICAC in New South Wales? We didn't get the ICAC in New South Wales because suddenly the Labor Party worked up and said, "Hey, maybe we should people look at, look into what we do." Or the <laughs> coalition said, "Hey, that's a cool idea." Um, <laughs> well, we got was, we got the ICAC. <coughs> well, he did it. Mm. He did it though in a minority government. Yes, he didn't have the numbers on the floor of Parliament to form government unless he delivered on a fully empowered ICAC, mm. and that's how we got it there. And I think that's how we'll get a fully empowered ICAC federally because it's mm. amazing. <laughs> you know, we're having those. Already hearing those discussions when I talk to Labor colleagues at a state level, they're suddenly thinking, you know, um, all the kind of really uh, uh, sort of attacking, exposing inquiries we're doing and forcing release of government documents, which happens at a state level in the upper house, you know, mm. non-government majority constantly exposing, you know, that's how we got the, the grants that Berejiklian uh, rolled out. That's how we got a whole bunch of that exposed. They're suddenly looking at the way the upper, the upper house is operating and the exposure of all this stuff and thinking, Maybe we should cool our heels a little on <laughs> that because you go from opposition to government and suddenly all your views about transparency mm. do change, which is why you can't trust a majority government to no. put in place comprehensive anti-corruption legislation. That's only going to happen, I think, with full retrospective powers, with full prosecutorial kind of powers. That's only going to happen with a minority government that forces them. Is there a minutes taker for every single meeting that occurs within federal government? Is there like somebody <coughs> paid to do the minutes? Uh, no. And in fact, there's even less transparency federally than there is at a state level. At a state level, ministerial diaries have to be disclosed every three months, but they just tell you who, who they met with and sort of a one or two sent one or two 
word description it's about the, what the meeting that's was. That's insane. Charles it's paid Lachlan <laughs> to be a minutes taker on a crappy workshop the other week. <laughs> and you'd think that, like, federally there'd be a person. They'd be the most protected person in the country, but there'd yeah, be a person. You'd have to, you know, protect their identity and give them AF, AFP protection. <laughs> but the um, – but um, no, and, I, I, you know, that's – as I said, again – that's why you need a fully empowered anti-corruption body that then looks into that. I mean, part of mm. the way we got this kind of stuff in New South Wales, and, geez, I'm not pretending New South Wales politics is good, but there's more transparency measures there than at a federal level. A bunch of that came from a series of recommendations from ICAC. They saw what happened. They saw how the system got corrupted, and they recommended how to fix it. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Chaser Report. News a few days after it happens. Now, one of the things that I just hate about the Greens, and it's always annoyed me about the Greens. This is coming back to koalas again, isn't it? Yeah, I bet it is. It does. I personally allow you to leave. Is that... Is Go on. That, pick an animal. Like, and I think we saw it in federal parliament last week, which is... The Greens like to be right about everything. Like, like you should always vote on your principles, on your values, and things like that. Yeah. And sometimes that's great, and you, but actually, at other times, you actually have to be more widely. Like, and the reason why Labor for me is appealing is because they actually go well. You know, sometimes you sell out your values because <laughs> no, no, because actually. We have to get electoral power and we have to get a majority of the parliament to, you know, and majority of the voters to be able to sort of run the government. And, you know, like in some ways you can see the benefits of both things, but but sort of the Greens are a little bit sort of pure and therefore a little bit powerless sometimes. Well, first of all, I think there's a place for at least one party in politics that is going to stick to its principles and not sell out when the pressure hits. So I reckon there's a place for the Greens in, the, in politics, even assuming that characterisation is right. But look, the other thing I'd say is that the... Um, look, yeah, of course you've got to stick to your principles. And and I think if you don't, and particularly for a party like the Greens, so we've got you know these core principles that drive us, they drive our supporters, they want us to stick to our principles, but they also want us to produce practical outcomes. And, and I think that's very clearly something I've always understood. So I, I work with two other Greens colleagues. So there's three of us in the New South Wales Up House, three out of 42. Mm. And you don't get anything unless you're willing to go across, talk with whoever the hell you've got to talk to in order to get the numbers. Do you have to talk to Mark Latham sometimes? He is one person that I won't talk to in order to get outcomes because, I mean, his votes are largely irrelevant. And mm. I, I can explain why if you want. If there, was, yeah, there is yeah, one I'd example. Love to know. But, the, okay. um, um, but you, you've got to work with, I mean, I work with the Labor Party. Um, I'll work with the coalition. I mean, I remember working closely with the coalition to get some renewable energy legislation through that mm. has seen New South Wales have the single best set of legislation to roll out renewable energy projects across the state. Is Matt Kane good? Matt Kane, Matt Kane is he's honest, right? Mm. He'll sit down and he'll talk with you and he's actually honest and you sit down and you work out how 
if there's a stumbling block to, to prevent something that we were both keen to get, which was renewable energy legislation, we worked out how to overcome those stumbling blocks. And mm. we did it openly, straightforward, you know, talking to each other across the table like we are. That's mm. that's actually useful in politics. You've got to be willing to do that. But you ask about Mark Latham. And yes. I think it's an example about how, you know, there's many reasons why I, I loathe the chap. But mm. um, here's, here's one. It was um, he'd only just got elected. And there was some legislation coming through the government had, which was going to strip away a bunch of employment rights for, I think, people in the transport sector. They were being moved from one entity to another. And with that, they were going to lose a bunch of important redundancy rights and employment protections and the like. And um, the government had tried to sneak it through in a budget bill and we'd called it out and we had a bunch of amendments that were going to save it. And obviously we'd worked with the unions to, you know, make sure the amendments were effective. We had the amendments ready to go. I went and saw him a week before. Didn't need his vote. But, you know, in politics, it's always better to have more than less because yeah. you're never quite sure what's going to happen. Um, we didn't need his vote, but I went and said, look, we're going to do this. You know, it's about protecting employee rights, usually the Labor Party. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> are you going to be on board with this? Mm. Oh, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I <laughs> Great said, okay, impression. Cool. Um, then, like, the day before or the morning before, we went and saw, yep, still on board. Um, and then, literally, we're on the floor of Parliament. I'm standing up to move the amendments. Mm. And he comes across and sees me and goes, oh, mate, look, you'll understand. Uh, I've just cut a deal with the government. They're <laughs> going to fund a car park in southwest Sydney. Oh. And uh, I said, if they do that, I'll, I'll flip and vote, them, vote for them on this uh, legislation. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of understand the nature of your politics. Oh, my uh, God. Sure. Sure, mate. He just loves the drama. And he just flipped. I mean, I mean, good news is, as I said, we didn't need his vote. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe that's an example of, you know, the kind of Labor Party deals. Because he, he, he got the car park. <laughs> he got the car he, park. He had an unprincipled vote on the floor of Parliament. Yeah. Maybe that's how you want politics to operate. For me, I was kind of disgusted. And it was a kind of lesson in, you know, that, that, may, that might have seemed clever of him in the moment. But mm. I've not forgotten it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll never ever deal with him, you know, even contemplate sitting down and trying to come up to a, sort of an arrangement with him as if I would anyhow. But you don't forget that kind of stuff, that yeah. unprincipled scumbaggery. And I think when the electorate sees it, they get revolted by it. So, yeah, this religious discrimination bill, maybe Labor thought they had to vote for it. Maybe they did. But I kind of think that the electorate would have given them more credit if they'd said, do you know what, there are so many noxious elements to this bill. Yeah. This isn't being using. This isn't using discrimination laws as a shield to protect people. Mm. This is using discrimination laws as a sword to hurt people, mm. and we're not going to vote for it. And if they'd articulated that, um, I reckon they would have got much more credit, much more credibility, and much more support, including in parts of Western Sydney, multicultural Australia, where they've seen how religion can be used as a sword to harm and hurt mm. minorities. And you know this idea that all of you know multicultural Australia wanted those laws through. I, I absolutely reject it. There are a bunch of people from minority religions who know how using religion in an aggressive, harmful way can be so harmful of politics, so harmful of them, so harmful of their community. If Labor had had the guts to go out and articulate that, well, I reckon we wouldn't have that same kind of revolt. My personally was revolted by what happened in federal politics, and I I don't think I'm alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, couldn't agree more on that, Bill. But there were so many greens, you know, on my Twitter feed and just <laughs> sort of everywhere that week sort of saying, but why isn't the Greens why, – why isn't the yep. Labor Party exactly like the Greens? Why aren't they behaving exactly like the Greens? And it's like because they're not the same party. Like they actually have a completely different philosophy of – Change. Don't yeah, they also no. accept donations, the Labor Party? <laughs> well, so does the Greens. Like, no, well, not no, from I, I, fossil I, I, fuel companies. Anyway. No, no, but look, maybe there's a place for the Labor Party. 
But if if their place is getting as close as possible to the coalition, but still being able to kind of, you know, um, pretend you're different, uh, that's okay. Then maybe there's a place for the Labor Party, but there's sure as bloody hell a place for I would yeah. hope a growing place for the Greens to actually say what your values are, mm. vote for your values, yeah, talk as you got to do, negotiate as you got to do, because you know part of what Parliament is isn't kind of it's not a revolutionary instrument. Parliament, I don't has anyone noticed that. <laughs> it's not a revolutionary instrument. I sometimes go into Parliament sometimes and the work we do inside Parliament is, you know, what do you want? Gradual change. When do you want it? In due course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's Parliament. Right? You've got to do that. But you've also got to inspire people so and you've got to be out in community and you've got to articulate a different way. So the Greens has been sort of bumping along sort of 8, 10, 12% support for many, many years now. Why – like, and yet climate change is like so obviously – the issue facing the world, you know, like it's it, like it's an existential crisis. What do you think is going on? Why why aren't the Greens growing? Therefore, yeah, I mean, look, I, I I hope I hope we will grow, and I hope we get a record number of MPs in this federal election, and with that will come genuine political power within the parliament and the ability to to mm. fundamentally deliver on those policies. That's that's why I'm, I think that's why I'm running for the federal senate. Um, <laughs> but I also think. There's something really cooked about some of the the public discussion on climate in Australia. I mean, if you compare the way we discuss this to the way most European countries discuss it, even the UK mm. under Boris Johnson, like, you know, a, a pretty toxic right-wing divisive mm. political player, but their discussion on climate is so far from where our public discourse on climate is. And, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why that is. I think we don't have an – the Labor Party has given up and won't articulate an alternative – um, uh, I think we have a corporate media that has been tr- captured by news, um, mm. captured by News Corp in a way that no other developed mm. country really has that kind of concentrated media, um, and and I think we have a totally unprincipled government who is literally willing to sell out the future for the next electri- the next federal election, and you put that together, and it's a pretty hard space to campaign in. But that being said, do I think we have done everything we possibly could have hit every goal? done everything as Greens? I I, absolutely not. And you can't but take on board those kinds of criticisms and views and think work harder, fight for every vote, articulate your message better, be better at what you do, because it's like a this is the future we're fighting for. It's, it's not some sort of academic issue. Mm. It's like literally the future that's at stake and we've got to do better. So I've been doing a bit of research on you and, um, you know, when you Google David Shoebridge... Research. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's... Lots of photos of you being arrested. How many times have you been arrested? Well, I've only been arrested and charged, you know, put in the back of a police wagon and charged. It's only happened to me once. Um, That's still pretty metal, though. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I was... Uh, so do you just the, get... Do you just... Um, Get photo shoots of you being arrested <laughs> to boost your image. Photo of arresting? Yeah, yeah. Um, Is this like a ScoMo I, I, version? I, I sometimes think, you know, there's all sorts of ways you can judge your performance in politics. Um, and um, <laughs> for, you know, Greens MP being arrested is pretty pretty up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I but the um, I think you've got to do better the, once. The, That's the, terrible. But I think you, you judge yourself on who your enemies are in politics and who you're willing to stand beside and who your friends and allies are in politics. So, you know, if you've been smashed as I regularly do by the Daily Telegraph or the Australian or Mark Latham or whatever, mm. you know, tick, key performance indicator being mm. met, met there, you know, judge yourself by your enemies. But also judge yourself by your friends and who you're willing to stand with. So a lot of my time um, is out there in community working with Aboriginal grandmothers or having their grandkids, um, you know, continually stolen 
by child protection authorities, um, you know, working with students on climate change. And that arrest happened. And, I, you know, I distinctly remember it. It was the end of 2019. There was the, this sort of – there was this sick, livery, liver-coloured sky. There was ash falling from the sky. Mm. It was during the fires. Oh, right, yeah. And a bunch of school kids were out the front in a cul-de-sac – out the front of Scott Morrison's place in Kirribilli House, in a cul-de-sac, blocking a cul-de-sac. <laughs> and, Iconic. Um, yeah. And, um, and then the police sent the riot squad in to move them out. What? And I literally, I thought I was just turning up for a bit of solidarity with the kids, right? It was mm. stinking hot. I actually brought my youngest daughter with me along. I said, it'll only take two minutes, Hannah, don't worry about it. And, um, and so we went there and it turned up sweltering hot and I saw all these riot squad all lined up and all these school kids. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. So I went up. Saw all the kids and said, well, you know what's happening? Oh, they're threatening to move us on. And they brought the riot squad in. And I went and saw the police. I said, what are you doing? You can't send the riot squad in to clean out a bunch of school kids who are blocking a cul-de-sac. That sounds <laughs> I mean, exactly what like What the bloody hell are you doing? Do. And so we had this like well, Hang on. What, what about people's rights to turn around <laughs> and go back in the other direction? Yes, you yeah. turn they're, they're, they're infringing on those rights. <laughs> you were in the meeting with the police. <laughs> with the cars. Uh, you were there. <laughs> And, um, and look, it was like a three-hour-long negotiation. And, um, and, and, and in the end, they just said, well, stuff you. And they'd been, you know, they tried to issue move-on orders before and all the kids started chanting nice. very loudly. And you can't, if you can't hear the move-on order, it hasn't been effectively oh, delivered. Oh, brilliant. So that, that right royally pissed the police off. And, wow. um, but they literally, they'd lined up like three deep, about eight across, all of these riot squad police. And they, have you ever heard of Turkey? Um, get cranky and go hoo, 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 with its chest, oh. like pumping up anger. Yes. They were all like these like, big puffed up turkeys, only they had guns and <laughs> batons and, uh, you know, tasers. This is insane. And on the other side were all these kids, right, school kids. <laughs> and um, and I was just, it was, yeah, I was with this moment, right? And and the, and the sky is this sort of foul colour, <laughs> ashes falling from the sky. They're asking for action on climate change. And anyhow, then they just moved the riot squad in to just surround all the individual kids and instead of doing a mass move-on order, they issued them individually to the kids. And I was sort of standing there with the kids trying to sort of be between them and the riot squad. Mm. That's where you want to be, right? Yeah, and, um, between the kids and, and the then, riot and squad, then, sure. And then I got <laughs> wrapped around by a bunch of riot squad and um, all the kids had said they were going to move on eventually. None of them mm. wanted to get arrested. And I was in the middle of saying, yeah, just like that little kid over there, I'll move on and bang, got arrested, got wrapped up, thrown in a police wagon. And 12 months later, we... We had the charges thrown out in court, but mm. not before they had, you know, served like, I don't know, uh, 30 centimetres deep of paper on yes. me and 30 different witness statements from the police trying yes. to actually have me successfully prosecuted and awesome. that got thrown out. Because every time the chaser has got into trouble, um, one of the really fascinating things that always means that the police never win is that their police statements, did you find this, their police statements were just totally untrue? Because <laughs> the thing is, there's always footage of anything yeah. we do. And then and they, they're used to just exaggerating and lying <laughs> on their witness statements. Yeah. And, and so they always yeah. end up checking out. Is that what happened with you? Or? Well, I mean, their statements had minimal connection with reality. That's mm. true, <laughs> which is a great New South Wales tradition. Yeah, yeah. But there's a name for it when the police come together and get all their common position on a on oh yeah tuesday yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's called the scrum down they all oh. put their head together and they all come together with the, the same statement and they all come out but in this case sorry, they were charging me with failing to comply with the move-on direction and the police's own video had me been surrounded by riot squad 
And they say, will you move on? You know, blah, 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 blah. And I say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I always kind of felt confident about defending that charge. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, you know, who knows what expense to the, the taxpayer. Mm. Um, they decided to press on with the prosecution. But I thought, yeah. I thought saying yeah in response <laughs> to a move-on direction was a pretty good defence for failing to comply with a move-on direction. Mm. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. None of the medical advice contained in the Chaser Report should legally be considered medical advice. The Chaser Report. Election's coming up. It'll probably be in May. I can't what, believe we don't know yet. What is your message to, like, there'll be people who sort of want to, who are listening to this, wanting to do something. What, what's your message for what? How people can most effectively influence the election in the next few months? Well, I mean, we're always a grassroots supported campaign. So the way the Greens um, manage to actually have a voice is through heaps of small donations. We don't take donations from any corporates in New South Wales. Small donations is what actually gets us funded. If you're thinking about, you know, where, where, where a small donation can go. Also, um, you know, get online and sign up and help out with some door knocking or some phone banking and actually get those one-on-one communications because it's really – I mean, this. Podcasts are great, right? But mm. the way you persuade people is one-on-one conversations. Mm. And podcasts. Really, and, and podca- <laughs> you, know, you can't tell these absolutely. men that podcasts don't help. They'll <laughs> actually implode. <laughs> yeah, um, but they, it's a mixture. You've got to have a voice. You've got to be – I personally believe you've got to be seen to be a proper politician. You've got to be present in traditional media. You've got to be hitting things on like podcasts. You've got to be seen to be an actual player. But then you also you, – you nail home change by one-on-one conversations. So that's how it happens. And if, if you think that – Labor have kind of got zero actual willingness to change and a pretty non-message. If you really want to actually change politics, the best way of doing it, I would say, is vote one Green, then whack number two in Labor, if, if that's where you're going. Um, because we need people in Parliament who actually force good outcomes on them. Labor's not going to deliver proper change on climate. It's not going to deliver the kind of anti-corruption body we want. It's not going to tax billionaires. It's not going to tax corporations unless they have to. And the only way they do that is if they're in a minority government and they have to deal with a crossbench that's going to force those kind of outcomes mm. on them. And, you know, personally, I, I would love to be in a parliament that for the first time ever pushes back taxes and billionaires and corporates and delivers Medicare for dental. Mm. I mean, wouldn't <gasps> oh. that be amazing? Oh, um, you have my vote yeah. immediately. Yeah, my man. teeth are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and isn't it astounding that in a country as rich as Australia, one of the big kind of class statements that are made... You know, you can tell someone's background and class and economic uh, situation by their teeth. Mm. I mean, how have we got to that? 
Well, how but else? You wa- but you need something to signal who's <laughs> good and who's bad. <laughs> aren't, aren't you worried that people are going to exploit free dental care? Like someone who doesn't need it might just get root canal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, uh, Taxpayer yeah. root canal. <laughs> Yeah, of all, of all the kind of um, of all the corruption issues, people voluntarily going to the dentist for root canal. It hasn't been high on my uh, stick it on the watch list. Federal yeah. ICAC now get rid just, of the root canal. I just reckon you know people volunteering for root canal ain't the um, ain't the corruption risk in Australian politics. Mm. But um, you know they're the kind of arguments that go against you when you want to expend That's something ridiculous. and have it for free. You know, imagine imagine diverting those rivers of billions of dollars that. Um, go to private schools. Imagine putting that into the public schools that most need it and actually changing that around, properly funding TAFE, um, uh, actually t- tearing up the federal agreements on logging that for, since John Howard's time have seen koala habitat being literally ripped apart across the country. Told we can you he was pro-koala. Oh, shut <laughs> up. We, we can actually do that. But, you know, Labor has proven they won't do it by themselves. Like Labor brought in the Fair Work Act, which is crap and under which gig workers get no protections. You know, L- Labor created the, the arrangements under which TAFEs across, TAFE systems across the country have been savaged by private competition. Um, I, I don't believe they're a force for the kind of change we need, which is why I'm in the Greens. That's why I think we need to be in there forcing that kind of change on a minority Labor government. And will we get everything we want? No. Will we get a whole bunch of what we want? I hope so. But if you don't try, if you don't fight, you lose. Well, I think um, I'm not going to do any of that. <laughs> I think I'm just going to go and brunch with uh, some of the, the, you know. Oh, our massive donors. Libs and, <laughs> so yeah. you're just making shitloads of money and we're getting paid scary. Is that the idea? Our, yeah, we'll, we'll get a few contracts for car parks. Oh, and for fuck's it'll sake. It'll all be fine. I'll, I'll, give you, you. I'll give you some links to some of those consultants who will sort out your employee relations issues. Okay. Oh, yeah, nice. They, um, I yeah. love it. Yeah, they... We really need HR in this building. <laughs> have you thought about getting a union? <laughs> um, we, got we, one. we do have one, actually. <laughs> but, okay, that's enough. That's enough. This is over. David Shoebridge, thank you very much, so uh, much for coming in. Our gear is from Rode Microphones. We're part of the ACAST Creator Network. And we are proudly sponsored by Adani. I'm just kidding. We're not. We that's could all. use the money, though, honestly. Yeah. I think Charles is about one bad decision away from selling out completely. Yeah, well, I've only come here for the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to tell you, that is really bloody. <laughs>